Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray steering the ship as we peel back the curtain and peer into the dark abyss that is the game of golf. The Good Good Google Doc is full to overflowing this week. Topics ranging from recycled ideas to fix the professional game to what happens when a city's asked to hand over multiple millions of dollars to build a golf course. Spoiler alert, it doesn't go over. Well, we'll come to all that, plus meet my co-hosts in just a moment. But first, there's homework. There's always homework. The homework is often the same every week, but we have to do it anyway. That's the nature of homework, listeners. Don't blame me, I'm just the messenger. This stuff comes straight from corporate HQ. First up, contact details. Uh, Twitter's the preferred avenue. Find me at at Rod underscore Murray. Adrian at at Adrian Logan. Derek at at Feed the Ball. You can also email, though nobody ever does, Rod at Talking Golf. How many G's in Talking Golf? Just one. Thanks, Just one. Mark. It's yeah. Talking Olf. It is Talking Olf if you're an oath. Uh, second issue arising, sponsors. Every podcast needs a sponsor. We have a sponsor. Ours is in the golf apparel business. The golfsociety.com.au forward slash Talking Golf is the place to go. It's a golf apparel concept store. Logue, hmm. what does that mean? That uh, you've put me on the spot. There. I have <laughs> deliberately. <laughs> that was, it means you can go and buy tad too big for your boots you were getting, and this is cutting <laughs> you down to size. You, you can go and buy some very fine garments. You can indeed. Lots and lots of nice stuff, in fact, at thegolfsociety.com.au from labels such as Cross and Travis Matthews shoes and accessories as well. In fact, I think the Puma. Did you go and look at the G4 shoes? I sale? did. I did. I'd also like to draw your attention to the Lacoste range of clothing as modelled by Daniel Berger, who we haven't heard a lot from for his golfing exploits lately, but he looks very good in those. Made a costs, splash at the President's Cup last year, if you recall. Yeah. Wanting to grind the internationals into the dirt. He did. We'd reached peak burger peak at that, bur- <laughs> that point. <laughs> what, what if he's, does he ever get paired <laughs> with burned Weisberger? Anyway, who knows? Anyway, uh, that's a little um, crocodile, isn't it? Lacoste? Yeah. Is that Lacoste? No, good stuff. Uh, anyway, golfsociety.com.au forward slash talk and golf. Go and have a look there. And look, even if you're uh, from overseas... Don't panic. Yes, it's an Australian company, predominantly Australian, but they do ship international. If you find something there that you like, certainly get it. And I think you can even look up stuff in different uh, currencies. Yep. You can switch the currency to the good. US and prices are definitely good. No doubt about that. That's it for the formalities. Let's bring in the co-host, starting right here at Talking Golf Central Studio One Low. We've already heard from him. Nice to have you. Congrats on some stunning photos last week of the Pimble Legends Pro-Am, my friend, including our studio guest, Mike Clayton. I'm going to guess he was the only player in the field carrying a sponsorless single-strap leather Mackenzie Walker. Now that you mention it, I can't recall <laughs> another player uh, ca- even carrying. Um, they were all just using trolleys but uh, or, or had a caddy. The, the, the Some rare, the rare Legends too. player had a caddy. Baker Finch, Senior, Peter Fowler, uh, Peter O'Malley, um, Mike Clayton, Mike Harwood. Yeah. They can still Pit play Lonner, too is the thing. Pit Lonner won. Uh, they, they can play. Clayton's had... Uh, even par, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, couple under one, few, few under one. Yeah. Yeah. What did Fowler shoot? Some good golf. They're, Fowler shot very something straight. at the Australian the day before. Sixty six. He or did, something? and then he won again won at Kalara. That's right. Yeah. Um, he didn't go too well at Pimble, but it's a really great week of golf. That Legends, yeah. the, that little Legends series in Sydney. Now, and were there? It's the sort of thing Sydney people should go out and they support. They should. I was going to say, were there any crowds? Because honestly, you can walk the fairways at this bloke it, and just chat to them while they play. Just, it's a, just a few members. Wow. And like the, so I followed well, Baker Finch's group a little bit, and there was like one or two members came out. Ian Baker Finch. You could have followed Ian Baker Open Finch. Open champion. Right here in Sydney. 
just pretty sure he's the only pink-shirted winner in open history too. <laughs> Quite possibly. Oh, Norman had like pinkish, like hi- pink highlights in '93. Mm, it was little true. little flashes oh, of pink. That shark shirt, that horrible. Yeah. Oh god. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yes, people go to the Legends program. They're fantastic. Did, did you go in for the fireside chat after? They always have a good presentation afterwards and a good. Yeah, yeah, sure did. Um, they yeah. in- they interviewed Mike Clayton. <laughs> one, of the, one, one of the questions was what you know, carte blanche if you had. Uh, if you had a go at this golf course, what would you do with it? Oh, dear, oh, dear. Clar- I'm surprised, clar- clarified you got with, out in time to, to record today. Clarified with, you haven't got the job, Clates, so just go for it. Yeah. <laughs> You've already missed out. What did he say out of interest? Uh, a lot of decluttering would help. Uh, I think, it, it, to me, it reminds me of the, the thing where if you just point a camera almost in any random direction mm-hmm. at a golf course in Sydney and remove 20 things from the photo you take, you'll this, have better golf. This is Adrian's home club, we must say, so he's yeah. entitled to <laughs> speak about it freely and whatever he wants. So, um, Yeah, and, and Clayton sort of made that point that there's a lot of clutter. There's too many bunkers. You could fill in a lot of the bunkers. You've got, But the, the main point he was making, is, which he made on the podcast last week, that... You've got great land here in Sydney. Mm-hmm. You, there's some challenges with the soils. It's darker soils and lots things. of elevation change and but stuff that should a, be good for golf. There's great land, and you can you can make really nice shaped holes and get some strategy out yeah. of the land. Um, and you don't need to gussy it up with bunkers and things like that. It's education, isn't it? So yeah. what we see on TV, all that stuff we've talked about before. Oh, well, that's uh, that was good. But I must say, I thought you had, you had some fabulous photos on you. I haven't looked at your Instagram. I'll, your I'll pub- publish a few more, but yeah, there's yeah. Uh, yeah, there's there's quite a few good ones there. Wonderful stuff. Now, don't forget, we've got another co-host, which we all <laughs> have gone and just ignored. From Talking Golf Satellite Studio 2, deep in the south of the US, comes Feed the Ball host resident booze hound Derek Duncan. <laughs> Derek, welcome. What's the answer to round two of our new segment, What's Derek Drinking Today? First of all, I was wondering if I wandered into the wrong studio. <laughs> Sorry about <laughs> that. What show am a, I on? Yeah. We got a bit okay, uh, well, local there. <laughs> um, well, this was an easy one today. Uh, the 2019 version of the Sierra Nevada oh. Celebration Ale has recently hit stores and shelves. Uh, it, every year, it's a, it's a kind of denotes the beginning of holiday season. It's a proper IPA. It's it's bitter, piney. Um, perfect for for winter it's it's not one of these you know fruity grapefruity blood orange uh nonsense kind of beers that we get so much nowadays this is a a real classic ipa um and it's just going down really nicely today on this beautiful fall day um so i want to just get this straight because i'm always curious about it fall for you guys is like may and april right yeah yep and so so, so that's fall for you we call we call it autumn autumn, but anyway yeah yeah. Mm. Right, right. And Christmas and Christmas is a hot holiday. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's so weird. Yeah. Uh, down here, it's quite normal. Yeah. We, we've always <laughs> done it that way, so we're kind of used to it. It's just bizarre to think about. <laughs> you, you remind me of. I think Adrian wants to pull you up on something about the booze, but you just remind me of something. I was organising an interview many years ago with a guy at Callaway in California, and I had to organise it through his assistant who could not grasp the concept that it was a different day and time in Australia. <laughs> so I'm swapping emails with this boy and saying, so Tuesday, 4 p.m. my time will be Monday. Some of you, and she kept writing back saying, but, but how, can, how can it already be Tuesday where you are if it's only Monday? <laughs> Honestly, couldn't grasp. I think I ended up sending her a link to a Google page explaining how the earth turns on its axis and the sun goes around it and really couldn't grasp the concept. She that, might uh, not understand the earth is a sphere. Yeah, well, and... Uh, Luckily, These Derek, days, I never mentioned never to her that it's hot at Christmas either. <laughs> yeah, I might yeah. have just really one, 
One step at a time. <laughs> That's right. Walk. Let's crawl before we walk. Uh, Logue, what were you going to criticise? You corrected Derek last week because you didn't take too kindly. You're not going to do that again, are you? No, I was, I was just going to say I had a Sierra Nevada pale owl when I was in Oslo not too long ago, and that place is the most expensive. It must be the most expensive country in the world. At the hotel bar, I, I, so I pointed at this tap of beer. I was, I was here in Nevada. I've heard of that. I'll, I'll have one of those. And the bloke goes, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Don't you want to see the and, menu And first? I said, yeah, I think, yeah, I'll have that. He, he goes, that's very expensive. <laughs> How expensive? How it was it? 200 kroner, which was about 32 Australian dollars, which is about, 15, I guess, 20, 15, 20, 20, 20 US dollars or something. For one. Okay. And it's I, I not, said, it's, it's it better be the best beer I've ever had. It's <laughs> not. Good? It's not that good? <laughs> I, well, That's, he came no, and checked no. on me later and he said, uh, how, how is it? <laughs> I said, you know, it's not the best beer. It's okay. It's okay. Thanks <laughs> for buck. There you go. Um, we probably should talk about some golf. That's terrific. Uh, good to have you aboard, Derek. Uh, good to have you as part of it. Now, follow-ups. This is your uh, your bag, Adrian. I know it's just sort of happened by accident. I know you were quite surprised to find out that that's your, <laughs> this is now your bag every week. But the follow-up list in the Google Doc, you come up with the title, so you can uh, do the follow-ups each week. What do you got on the list before we get into today's episode? Uh, well, we've got one five-star review from underscore Kman2305. Mm. Uh, it's titled, One of the Best. That's in reference to the podcast, one of the best. I you know, might take mild exception to that. But in the uh, review itself, it says, enjoyable podcast. Rod, Adrian, and Derek make this a must-listen. And That's I'm, lucky because we're the three that are here. Yes. So if it was going to be Steve, Bob, and Graham, you'd be on the, you'd be in the wrong yeah. place. I'm again mildly insulted that he listed you first, but you know that's that's how it it's is. Good to be the king. Only one of us is a media baron. Uh, you know, indeed, so, indeed. And as their own podcast network. Yeah. Well, Rod, I, I believe you've got some feedback of your own that you wanted to mention. I do. I set up a Patreon account. Go and put some money in the Patreon account, people. I'm only kidding. You don't have to do that. But uh, I have had some uh, have had some feedback from the Patreon account. In fact, I got a very lengthy um, missive from, well, he's a greenkeeper, this fellow, but he doesn't particularly want to be known. So let's just call him groundskeeper Willie, in keeping with the Simpsons theme that's developing on the show. Now, you might, you'll definitely remember this, Adrian. I don't know whether you saw this, Derek. I wrote a column a few weeks ago in my Golf Australia uh, Digital Express magazine. I write a column there every week about the strip cut fairways, the checkerboard cut. Yep. I took exception to all that. Well, they used a photo of Glen Eagles with that because it was a particularly offensive uh, example of it, and I got this from Groundskeeper. This is quite a quite a bit of feedback. As I said, I love the network of podcasts you created. Love listening to them. I've learned a lot about architecture, different courses. I come up with many ideas based on what I heard. He listened to the Spirit of St Andrews pod three times, Adrian. Wow. Three times. So clearly a fan of Clates. Uh, I know you've now got Curtis. Tur- oh, here we go. But I do feel sometimes there's a naivety about greenkeeping on your podcast, and that's probably, well, not probably yep. true. That is true. That is true. Yeah, as he points out, we've got Curtis Tyrrell on board as part of the network, so that'll help with the knowledge, but it won't help much for you and I. For example, this is where it gets good. I take personal exception with your recent article about course presentation that used the photo of the 18th at Glen Eagle in all its striped glory. I understand it can be an eyesore, but for six months building up to the Ryder Cup, it was my job to cut these lines in <laughs> and make sure they were nice and straight. You've described it as pointless, which I did. It's not pointless when you're cutting the fairways and spreading the wear and tear. Now, that I didn't know, so that's a very legitimate point. The cutting units have rollers on them. Cutting back and forth can be a much quicker way of cutting than block cutting. Not every course has the resources to utilise more than one mower or use growth regulators. Also, 
those fairway stripes are. My claim to fame, when you hear people complain about them, you're complaining about someone's passion for the job and attention to detail. That's actually really important. I apologise. It is important. And it's true. And I think I opened the story by saying, look, there's no doubt it takes an awful lot of skill and effort to actually make that happen. It's just something that I don't particularly like. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, And he makes a good point about when we bang on about course presentation – and people are working very, 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 very hard and doing an incredibly good mm. job to present a course like Augusta National in the condition it is. Yep. The, in the bigger picture, it might not be the best direction for the game. But and we it's great, like Clayton said last week, it's great to play on nice grass. Of course it is. And everyone, you know, look, it, it, the problem with it is that it's gotten a bit like driving in the game itself, the driving of the golf ball. It's taken on too much importance. You know, the condition should complement design, which is kind of the point. And the broader point of the story I wrote wasn't so much the checkerboard cutting of the fairways it's what that suggests about what we want from golf courses or what what consumers are wanting from golf courses and it's much more about the look than the design of the holes so people would rather play a poor golf course presented well than a great golf course presented poorly Well, it's where the money's going as well if exactly there's an enormous amount of money and resources going into creating that look then that's one thing but if it's another thing it's just it's another thing if it just makes sense to drive <laughs> drive that way and then turn around and then drive back the other direction yeah, and it creates that pattern and spreads the wear. I, I think they reverse the checkers as well um, or the striping. Clearly, um, I don't know every now and then, it, which is obvious. And I, yep. uh, uh, hands up, and I'm glad the groundskeeper really got in touch because yep. it's about education and that's a two way street. And other greenkeepers, please get in touch. Make with sure us you as get well. in touch. Yeah, it's, make criticisms of Adrian in particular if we could move on from what. <laughs> And, and any just regular club members out there listening to this, uh, you should be like, nice tip, tipping your hat to your, to yeah. your greenkeepers. I, I equate this uh, a little bit to professional tournament golf, like tour players. Uh, you have to kind of look at them, like I've said before, in, in their own separate category. And if you're good enough to hit the ball that way and control your shots and control your distances and go out and make a lot of birdies – it, it's sim- you know you you need golf courses that are sort of like tuned to that are going to reward that and if you're a, a greenkeeper who has the the skill and ability and the budget to produce a level of maintenance and and grass and turf that is you know almost unimaginably good that you want to you want to be able to do. show off your skill that's your skill that's, that's right. what you're good at and not everybody you know has the ability yeah. or the resources to do that so i think it has its place definitely just like professional tournament golf is kind of you know is it is its own unique thing that level of greenkeeping at certain clubs around the world is really is really good and, and admirable and attractive yeah. and then the problem is when you get it <laughs> when when people think that their club should have it, uh, and then mm. they don't unreasonable expectations under, understand, yeah, the the budget restraints, and 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 then they get very critical of 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 a course that that is really honestly doing it the best it's can it best best it can, and maybe is even producing a, a a turf quality that is better suited to its architecture and its, its playability than than something mm. that's really lush and manicured and green and, and looks great on TV. Yeah. In fact, I I put myself certainly in that great big. Uh, pool of golfers who doesn't know enough about greenkeeping to really comment on it publicly in a column too much, and <laughs> that's been proof of this. Uh, but it's fair enough. It's fair enough for you to have that opinion. That yeah, absolutely. Look, and I, that, I, that but, rubs you the wrong way. It's legitimate. Yeah, it does. Well, the checkerboard, especially. I just that, that there's something about that that uh, you know, I just had a, a no question. It takes a lot of skill. Now, there was some other interesting stuff in what this uh, this long news. There also seems to be a lot of sweeping generalizations about golf in the UK that don't really add up. Mm-hmm. Dogs, for example, 
In Scotland, we have a right of access code that does allow people to walk dogs on golf courses, but they should be on a lead and should not be allowed on the main playing areas of the course. My current course is the only one I'm aware of that allows golfers to play with their dogs, and even then it brings issues, dog foul, dogs running through bunkers after they've been raked, or dogs running wild when spraying or fertilising is in progress. I've had a few instances of dogs nearly being run over or chewed up by machinery as people let them loose. It's a health and safety concern. I think that's fair enough. And this, I think, happens to us here in Australia. We've probably talked about this before, Adrian. People from overseas get this notion that every every golf course in Australia is Royal Melbourne. Mm-hmm. That we're just wall-to-wall sandbelt golf course where everybody walks and carries and is healthy and fit and has, has a woke attitude to the game, quote-unquote, and it's just not true. No. Of course it's not true. It's a generalisation. We've got as many golf courses with carts and paths and all that other stuff that we decry as anywhere else in the world. The point I'm trying to make is that greenkeeping is a complex subject. Every course has different challenges and different expectations. We can't all be like Royal Melbourne or, in Scotland's case, St Andrews. The over-fertilisation irrigation of courses has been a huge issue in the past and clubs are now doing their best to rectify the problems created by carrying out these practices. A lot of what we do is a necessary evil, and while it's not popular at times, it serves a purpose and benefits the course in the long run. Don't get me wrong, there are still issues within the industry that need to be addressed, but I think we're viewed as a nuisance, consistently told what to do by people with no experience or knowledge, and judged against courses on TV or down the road. I hope you don't take my feedback personally, as that's not what I hope to do. I just wanted to highlight a few things that maybe need a bit more consideration. Keep up the good, good work. Excellent. And all the best for the future. Excellent That feedback. was fantastic. I really, really enjoyed reading that, and thank you. You know who you are. Some people, other people might know who you are based on the information you've given away there, but uh, I thought that was really interesting. And positive feedback, and I think I've learned something in, in, in one of this. So that's, um, that's the only way we, we learn about things that are outside of our, our sphere of, of knowledge is to get have people instruct us or inform us, and uh, that's great to get that kind yeah, of feedback. I yeah. welcome anybody in the golf business, in the industry, to, to you know, do what Greenkeeper Willie did and, and tell us if we're, if we're full of it or not or, or if we've got something wrong or, or just kind of yeah. continue the dialogue online. We really appreciate that. Well, you only really get into trouble when you stop talking, don't you? <laughs> when there's no one left to disagree with, then you've really got to look around and realize you've really got a problem because uh, anyway, uh, our mate Rob Williamson will be very pleased to have heard that about the dogs, by the way. Right. He's, oh, he's, he's anti-dog. Very anti-dog on the golf yep. course. And as he accepts, it's not the dogs that are the problem, it's the owners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they never come without the owners. So there, There's so many little caveats around the dog dogs on course thing. It, like, I think it's it, the on lead is a really important point. Mm-hmm. But also the time of day that it occurs, I think, is really important. Like, you see the municipal courses around Sydney around 5 p.m. in the sort of twilight around this time of year. It's a great time of year to be just out in nature. People walking their dog in around Marrickville Golf Club or something, not a problem. And there's a track that goes around the course as well, so they'd be, you know, they're sort of away from the the field of play. Um, and they, they should be super encouraged by golfers actually if they want the course to survive. So, which is in danger. But it, it is it is such a complex thing. It's very hard to generalise. Nothing's ever similar. That all ties nicely, Derek, into something that I wanted to bring up with you. Not to talk too much about just the stuff that we've been doing, but. A really excellent interview mm. with Andy Staples yeah. on your latest episode of Feed the Ball. Andy's a fantastic yeah. guy. We had him on the ICEC Golf Podcast. In particular, well, I recommend people go and have a uh, listen at Oh, the third bit of the homework. Go to TalkingGolf.com, network of quality golf podcasts, including Feed the Ball. Go and have a listen to episode 60 at TalkingGolf.com. But what I really particularly love about what Andy talks about is this community links concept. So for anybody who's not familiar uh, Derek, give us a thumbnail sketch of what he means by community links, because I think it plays right into something that Adrian was just touching on there. 
well, through a lot of Andy's own experience in, in trying to get jobs and, and get projects greenlighted, he spent a lot of time with municipal leaders and, and uh, civic boards, people who control the money and, and the finances to these projects of public uh, in America, public golf courses. So he's found ways to, to talk to them in, in ways that they, will, they understand it resonates. And he does that by talking about not just the golf course and the features and, and the cost, but also about how the golf course can can be reintegrated as an element of the wider community, how citizens of, of whatever municipality and location they're in can find ways to use the golf course and the property even if they're, they don't play golf. So he's, he's proposed uh, things like walking paths and, and running paths through the golf course, um, ways to get people with disabilities around the property, and really trying to tr- doing as, as much as you can to treat the golf course like a, like a community park. Um, a beautification project, a, a source of recreation and activity, and then also trying to tie in the, whatever club fa- clubhouse facilities they have, try to open those doors uh, so that other people can use them, whether it's for the restaurant or, or bar or for meetings or um, uh, as a music venue or, or things like that. So uh, he's developed this concept called Community Links that, that helps outline all this and come up with uh, kind of custom packages for different municipalities that may be interested in doing something with their golf course that, uh, beyond just a simple renovation. And why that's important, of course, is uh, I don't know how it is in, in Australia or in other countries where people might be listening, but in the United States, we've come a long way from from where we were in the 50s and 60s and, and 70s when golf was supported by every community. Every go- Every town had a golf course. They usually did pretty good business. They they might have lost money, but that was understandable because it was viewed as an amenity to the people who lived there, like just a like a library or, or a yeah. museum or, yeah. or a park or a playground. Um, it was something. It was a, some, something that its citizens could go to and use and be proud of. And we, it's not like that anymore. Now they're you know because of maybe golf's reputation has has changed over the last couple decades. Golf courses are are viewed almost from a purely economical standpoint about uh, about how much money they're using. It's considered a privileged sport, uh, something that only a fraction of the community might even want to use. So, uh, this is helping to uh, reestablish the connection between the community, the town, and the golf course, and, and using the golf course uh, as a way, as an asset and a service to the community, and just trying to reestablish those bonds and that goodwill that's been lost over the years. And so, Andy's been at the forefront of that, really at the forefront of that. And um, he's having some success in having these conversations with different cities. And, and uh, just by talking about it and talking to other architects and people in the media, uh, I, I think that that message can grow and, and extend and hopefully reach small towns and medium-sized towns uh, across the country who have a golf course in their vicinity or in their city city limits that uh, needs a little bit of work. There's a lot of potential to turn these golf courses into uh, something beyond what they have been in the past which for their own future is probably not a bad idea i think that resonates probably here in australia as well adrian there's a huge resistance and this is where golf needs to take responsibility amongst golfers you mentioned marrickville golf club there which is an inner city golf course in sydney the real estate that it sits on would be worth billions if you were to develop it so you can understand why the pressures come and People who don't play golf don't think of golf courses as green space, so they want green space. They want to take nine holes of Marrickville Golf Course and turn it into a park. At Hudson Park, they did just take the golf course, just shut it one day and turn it into a park. I just can't understand the thinking of it. But those things that Andy's talking about are the important ones, where golf needs to get on the front foot. Doesn't Golfers are far too uh, selfish about their own land. We need to learn to share for the sake of public golf. 
Yes, absolutely. And it, it means when you do see somebody out walking their dog on a bike track or something and there might be the odd place where that track needs to sort of cut into the golf course. It can't be just like going around orbiting the golf course necessarily. And in fact, I don't think you want it to by design. I think you would want uh, those walking paths and that sort of things to, to get into the property a little bit because people get more of a sense of what golf's all about rather than walking with like some factory on one side of you the entire time <laughs> and then a beautiful golf course on the other side. Both off limits. I, I, I really think a path of that nature should go into the course and, and sort of interact with the golf course a fair bit. Behind tees and where it's feasible. Yeah, so that's across right. Across the middle of fairways right. at the 200 metre mark, no. But if yeah, there is takes, some situation... Yeah, of course. It, it takes plenty, exactly. But if there is some situation where... Um, somebody who obviously doesn't know golf is doesn't know what they're just standing in the wrong spot or something. Just be patient and don't get angry with them and go up even just turn that round completely. Actually, go and say hello to them and talk to them about their dog or something. And, and we're not and advocating with this the game. For, for public courses who own their own land and have their fences around. I'm not a big fan of that. But private courses, that's yeah. your private yeah. course that you can do whatever you want with it. Nobody's suggesting it should be overrun. But if we want public golf to survive, it's a and I know I bang on about the image problem, Derek, but it's all interconnected, isn't it? The, the more fenced-off golf courses we have with no access from people who don't play golf, the worse golf's image, or the easier it is to paint golf as a bad guy that we know it's not, and people who play golf know that it's not. But we don't do anything to sort of fix the problem. Yeah, and this is this helps address that by, by mm. pulling back the proverbial curtain and showing people what a beautiful landscape this is and allowing them to enjoy it. Uh, people who might never step foot on a golf course are now all of a sudden, if you can design it correctly, are are right in the heart of the golf course perhaps and, and seeing uh, a really beautiful, unencumbered slice of nature that they didn't get a chance to enjoy before. Everybody, when, they, when they're walking or running or bicycling, would much rather be in a, in a natural park-like setting, I'm sure, than, than you know, on a sidewalk or a busy street. So golf, a golf course is a perfect venue for that. One of the best places... Uh, for that, and, and that does it the best, is Chambers Bay in Washington, where they had the 2015 U.S. Open. When they remodeled that golf course, they made sure that they put uh, running and jogging paths right through the golf course. They're they're kind of close to the shore, and and you can almost – it's really surprising. I didn't realize they were there when I – first time I played there, and I came up – uh, to a tee box and there's these couple of moms pushing these baby strollers like 10 feet away from me and I didn't know where they came from and then I started to pay attention and I saw this path that goes r- overlooking the water and it goes through the golf course and it, it doesn't come anywhere close to the, to the line of play other than maybe a tee box like you mentioned um, and it, but they get the, a beautiful view of this, this really striking golf course I think so anyway and uh, a view of Puget Sound and, and they're right in the middle of the golf course and uh, it, it's just a very harmonious thing and it's exactly the kind of thing that, that, that Andy's trying to promote and um, the more of that we can get I think the better chance we have of turning you know altering the, the opinion that, that some people might have of, of golf as being an elitist stuffy uh, separatist sport Indeed and of course the great advantage of being a walker at Chambers Bay is you never ever hit one OB on 16 like Brandon Grace did at the Open. <laughs> <laughs> thing, the thing about Chambers Bay as well it, it's a really good golf course and I think that's an important point that Andy was making in the podcast last week as well, that it's it, you'd want really good golf in these yes. places as well. <clears throat> and Andy, I think, feels almost like he's over-branded as the community golf or community links and eco-golf guy. Yeah. Was it eco-golf that he trademarked, Derek? There was... He um, trademarked community, community links. Community yeah. links and, and something to do with... The, uh, yeah, um, you can go to his web- website. Um, yeah. Google Andy Staples Golf. I'm sorry, Andy, I don't have the... the 
name of the actual website title, but yeah, there's a lot of links on the website mm. uh, that talk about sustainability and sustainability. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, the sustainability and, and how he measures inputs and outputs of golf courses and helps people that way. There's a community links tab with a lot of information about that. Uh, past projects that he's done. So if you're curious about it, please go to his yeah, website. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I, I think one of the points he was making is that he feels almost overbranded. Like he's the guy you go to mm. for sustainable golf Pigeon or community like links actor. or something. <laughs> one role yeah. in a sitcom and that's it. That's, that's all right. You're Kramer yeah. and that's he de- it. He exactly. definitely made the point that, that you get that no matter when yeah. you hire him. That's that's a given. You, that you get that as a baseline. That. And then, but what you really want to hire him for is his creativity as a designer. Yeah. And he, he wants he wants, I think, people to know, get that message out there that it's not... It's not a constraint to have sustainability no, considered. That's right. It's not a constraint on your creativity. Good golf uh, courses look just as good as it, poor golf courses to exactly. the Or if it is a constraint, it can be a good constraint. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and uh, it's, it's still possible to have great golf and yeah. not compromise on the strategy of the golf course or anything. Perhaps the most interesting part of that, uh, Derek, and I think about my own club in this term, is the clubhouse idea. Now, I'm a member at a semi, semi-private golf club, so we have members but predominantly open to the public. Uh and I think about the clubhouse there, and yeah, sure, you know, we want everybody to come in and use the clubhouse, but it's not exactly a, it's almost a tolerating thing, because it helps to subsidise the golf, Adrian. Talk to maybe the importance of, if you want to be a proper community, I mean, actually have to welcome the non-golfers into the game and give them something else or something of value, as opposed to tolerating them, because they're giving you some money for the meal that they're about to have or whatever. Yeah, it, and it requires some compromise, doesn't it? If you want to mm-hmm. have lower subscription fees, uh, then you want to, you, and you allow people in, then it might mean um, you know allowing in a, a restaurant um, that the golfers barely ever use, but it's there. Um, some clubs do it really well. We went down and visited Wollongong recently. Mm. Virtually the entire second level of that really nice clubhouse they've got there is is like a community club yeah. which the golfers I don't think ever walk up the stairs there to go to the second no, level probably not as golfers though. they'd probably come back with their family they different times for all sorts of events exactly. unrelated to golf so. but there's a fantastic bar downstairs for yeah, the golfers true. and uh, uh, good, well, well equipped pro shop it, from a golf point of view that lower level is everything you want in the clubhouse yeah. you walk off the course and into the yeah. area and, and you're there did you how did you i can't remember how did you rate the toasted sandwich it was a, it was not good was not, not good. good yeah they've got to lift their toasted sandwich game <laughs> the cheese, Adrian, cheese and the, tomato toasted the world's sandwich. greatest toasted cheese and sandwich <laughs> maker so he rates them wherever he goes <laughs> came up short anyway yeah. go and have a listen to uh to derek's interview with andy it is fantastic andy's a terrific guy and a really important i feel like he's playing an, an incredibly important role in the business of golf course architecture and promoting that community links because it's about more than just golf. And that's, uh, well, we don't talk enough to non-golfers, do we, Derek? And we don't hear enough about what non-golfers talk about. We only talk in our own little bubble. And he's not doing that. He's going outside the bubble to the people who actually make the decisions. And it's really important and he's to be absolutely applauded for uh, for not just the concept but getting on and, and doing it. Let's talk about some new topics. This one's an old... I love old chestnuts. Chestnuts are fantastic stuff because you can roll them around forever and they never seem to ever come to a resolution. Miguel Angel Jimenez this week. Derek, all I saw was the headline, but that's all you kind of really need to know, suggesting that the, the art of working the ball's been lost. We need to go back to 10 clubs to bring shot-making back into the game. I don't know whether he was talking about just professional golf or golf more broadly. I'm sure we've talked about this in the past. What are the barriers to doing that? And what are the what are the pros? Why should we be thinking about doing something like that? Well, there's no reason that any of us cannot just 
take a few clubs out of our bag. Or, so it, or, or Miguel. <laughs> it must be said. Exactly. There's no rule says he has exactly. to take 14 yeah, on the you course. Yeah, lead by example on this. Obviously, at the professional level and the high amateur level, those clubs serve a purpose. Um, you know, their their distances are dialed in and their trajectories are, are dialed in. And the courses that they often play most of the time reward certain types of ball flights. So uh, it would nobody would voluntarily give up any of their clubs and they'd add clubs if, if they could. Mm. Uh, it's just, they're so precise. That's these, these are like, uh, instruments of precision to, to, uh, the professional caliber players. So you would have to, I mean, we'd have to make a, a rule, you know, a club reduction rule for it, for it to go over. Um, and there's just, and beyond that, there's, I mean, we're, we're past the generation where, working the ball and kind of doing the Phil Blackmar thing is is even a reality. I, I don't think most of the professional players grew up in that era where, you know, they, they, they grew up in the era of where the equipment is, is basically essentially what they're still playing. They, they most, in the, except for the real old guys, they never had to go through that transition of, of you know, regular steel shaft drivers and, and smaller heads and, and curvy balls to the stuff they play now. The Most of the people came up with the, the modern equipment. So the idea of working balls and being artistic and creative, I mean, you might as well ask them to go play a different sport. So, um, but I, it's, it's, it would be an interesting concept, right? Wouldn't it to, to have a, a couple spots on the calendar where, oh. where you have a, 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 a reduced club yep. type of tournament, Hallelujah. even if it's in the silly season and it's not, you know, yeah. one of the major big important tournaments. I who mean, do, I think that'd be fantastic to see. Who do you reckon would win? Well, you can't pick winners, but who'd, who'd no. contend? Who would do well? Well, the the best ball strikers in the most world. You'd have to put Tiger at the top of the list. I tell you what's interesting. The, the some Other. of the most interesting social media content of recent times, and it's not something I'm a huge fan of, as you know. But is those European tour contests where mm. they go to a par three and they hit all fourteen clubs in the bag. They're fun. As soon as somebody's hit one, that's it. It's out of the rotation. The other player can't hit yep. that club, and that's you really see guys trying to hit drivers from 140 yards. Trying to cut a driver into a par three, yep. I'm amazed. Often, Adrian, or blade a sandwich or something. That's right. <laughs> I'm amazed at some of the poor shots you see. Yeah, some of the lack of ability of some of those players. I'm just just off the top of my head, but I think probably the best is probably someone got five clubs on the green. I think that probably sounds about right. Might yeah. have been Harrington. Yeah, remember Harrington hitting a driver from like 140 yards yeah. or something? It was quite remarkable. But usually, it's one or two. Yeah, that's right. It's 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 which for, it would be normally be a seven iron. They hit it on with the seven, the eight, yeah. and the six, <laughs> and, yeah. and beyond that, it's they're lost. Yeah, yeah. not much going yeah. on. So, um, be interesting to see. Who do you? I don't know, Derek. What do you reckon? Who 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 does have the advantage in that? And and don't. This is the point that Clates often makes, and I think it's true. Don't the better players, the better ball strikers, like Tiger, like Rory, like Adam Scott, isn't it in their interest to make the game more difficult at that level? Because the harder it is, the easier for them to separate, to be the Norman of their generation. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, the more difficult it is, the you know you, you de-equalize the field and you get more separation between the, the skill mm. levels or the skill levels are more apparent when the ball is harder to hit and, and maneuver and control. Um, Which I think is what people miss, and there's a lot of people in our bubble who campaign for this. I mean, we're, we're constantly on about this notion of rollback and bifurcate. Yeah. There's all sorts of reasons beyond just the entertainment of the game to think about those things, to do with the planet and the environment and resources and outside politics. But for just the the simple playing of the game, that to me feels like a more entertaining version of the game, where the, the more skilled are more rewarded 
but maybe for professional and elite players. Yeah, for the yeah. elite players, but, yeah. but maybe we're out of touch with what they really want. Well, I think also for beginners, one of the things that is a barrier to getting into the game is the beginners feel like they're at some disadvantage unless they've got every single mm. club that's possibly available to yeah. them. And it, you know, some people never shake that, that they could be spending you know, $100 on a lesson versus um, $500 on a new driver. Yep, two they're, of those, thanks. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, they're going to go for the driver every time. But uh, beginners are especially susceptible to it because the game is so hard. But I remember when I was first starting, most kids – you know, the best advice you can give them when they're running around the course is hit the club you're most confident of hitting. Yeah. This is the thing my dad always used to say to me. And look where you've turned out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but, you know, you're hauling a set of clubs around and, and you, you, they're, you're you kidding yourself if you think you're precise enough to be able to, you know, discern between a seven iron and a four iron or something yeah. like that on any given shot. Um, but, uh, and even, you know, unless you're an elite player, the difference between your seven iron and your six iron is... is Kid, again, you're just kidding yourself. It's <laughs> There's a the, the strike is so it? imprecise, yeah, exactly. and the and the the spread. But for a beginner, if they've hit a good shot with a seven iron or something, Stick if you just it. keep that seven iron in their hand, uh, hitting the club you're confident of hitting is going to get you more hooked into the game than trying to stuff around with club selection and then getting disappointed and all that expectation setting that comes with club selection. Did you start with a half set? Yeah. I started with three, yeah. five, I think yeah, it was three two, five seven two nine, wood, three five like seven nine. Yeah. Something like that. And yeah. A, yeah. And a, you, you're the same, Derek? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is that the case just, still yeah. these days? I, don't, I doubt it. No, I'd not even most, a wedge. Again, I think it just, just went from putter to nine iron. Yeah, that's right. No yeah. wedge. Yeah. And it's it's yeah. a it's a barrier to entry. What's it cost these days for a full set of 14 clubs from Callaway? No, no idea. Uh, like $1,500. Well, US. at least I'd, I'd have thought. Yeah, so I'm approaching two and a half. Oh no, so fourteen right. clubs is more. That's just uh, uh, like their new iron sets are. Yeah. well, well north of a thousand dollars just for the irons. Yeah, yeah. So it, you might be looking three thousand Australian dollars or something for Jesus. the sort of set that's targeted mm-hmm. at a beginner. Yeah, a game improvement. Game improvement set. Mm-hmm. What a ridiculous barrier to entry to the game. But, it is. But beginners think that they've got to do that, and you know what goes along with fourteen big clubs like that? A great big bag. A big bag and a rangefinder. And a rangefinder. And shoes. Head covers. And a glove. <laughs> um, exactly, all of that stuff. And with a big bag, what's next? Oh, the, the trolley to put it on. The trolley, a big automated trolley. Or perhaps a golf cart. If you get cart. sick of that, you start putting it on a golf cart. cart. Then yeah. you've got paths, and that's where we are now. <laughs> and that's where we are now. <laughs> but, Rod, to go back to, to your, your point earlier, I, I think it's really entertaining and, and interesting to talk about these things like this, like maybe a, a, a ten club tournament, or mm-hmm. or you know playing with a half set, I think that's that's really entertaining. It's really interesting to think about the professionals and how they would react to it if if they had uh, less than fourteen clubs. But sometimes when these topics come up, I almost feel like you know we're talking about solutions in in search of a problem, and not to suggest we're you know we're saying that there's a problem. This is one of the things that we need to address, but. I, I worry that sometimes in these discussions we're we're telling people or the message that we're sending out is that their the type of golf that they're playing is wrong. They're wrong, playing the yeah. wrong kind of golf. Yeah. Most people who play golf, it would never occur to them to play with less than 14 clubs because there's no reason to. They have 14 clubs. They go out and play. They play with their friends. They have a great time. They have a, a snack afterwards, and they look forward to the, to the next time they go out mm-hmm. and play. I think that's the way most people experience golf. And I think that it would be humorous – uh, for them to, to know that people like me 
are saying, well, you know, you should you should try to you're, do something you're different. Doing you it should all move wrong. up to the, you're doing it wrong. You you're too much. Yeah. Right. yeah, you shouldn't be enjoying that game. Here's the game you should be enjoying. Because the you're and you're right, and that's the danger, and that's what you always try to avoid. But this is why we have satirical accounts like our mate Woke Kenzie or whatever mm-hmm. he's called, who, who point out all of that, and and, that, and it's absolutely right and true. But if you flip that, Eric, uh, Derek, and if the game that those people were playing was a game of eight clubs because that was the rules and that you carried and walkers, that's the game that they were drawn to. They also would think it was crazy if you suggested to them, well, we should go to a game with 14 clubs. So I take your point, and it's true, but it's about the game that people get dished up to them at the beginning. Now, we've just gone through how the game that people have been getting dished up to them is 14 clubs in a big bag on the back of a cart or an automated trolley. We know how we got there. The question is how do we try to get back and it's not about right and wrong it's ultimately about sustainability to go back to Andy because that form of golf that people assume non-golfers think what is golf golf carts and pans and big bags and all the clubs and range finders and that sort of stuff ultimately if that's the most broadly played form of the game then it's not sustainable and so there'll be less and less of it and that's a downward spiral that if you love golf and you think golf should thrive and people should have the opportunity to play it because it's good for people and it makes lives better, I don't see how you can pursue that model in the bigger picture and expect that that's going to be a successful way forward. So you're right. It's not about telling people they're wrong. But a bit like what Phil's talking about doing, showing people there are other ways, letting them find that themselves and those who are interested initially, and from that does a movement grow that might have some impact. Maybe. Don't know. That's the way I sort of think about it. And, then, of course, the danger is that what you do is – and you see this in – what was the one that our mate Woke put up this week? The 10 Woke golf <laughs> things and some of the answers. And I think Gary Player might have said on the coverage at the Nedbank something about the ball going too far. Yep. Yeah, he did. And you had the whole thread on Twitter about all the people saying, well, I don't see anything wrong with the game. You know, they only shot 10 under par. And 10 years ago, Ernie shot 20 under here. So there's nothing wrong with the game. And you start all of those confrontational arguments that don't move anybody anywhere. They're ultimately useless. And I'm certainly guilty of having gotten involved in that and you react to something that somebody says, but it's not of any great use. I mean, ultimately, if the goal is to have a game that's sustainable and good for people and does good things for societies, which I think all of us here would say that we think it can, then the form of the game that's dished up at the moment is probably not the model for that in the long term. Yeah. So that's yeah, the uh, issue. I, I think I just cannot get away from this thought that people – quit golf or golf never sits uh sinks into them in the first place because of things that don't have anything to do with the with the golf clubs yep. you know with 14 clubs or the drive it has to do with uh the time that it takes to play the pace of play the expense uh adrian you touched on expense for for the golf clubs but just you know the cost of getting to the, the golf course yep. uh, the family life is structured differently these days it's hard to justify being away from home for that long uh people work a lot so all of these things are, are things that at the golf course, the environmental impact that uh, uh, you know 200 acres of fertilized grass has on on the environment, or the perceived impact that it has, um, water usage. These are the things that golf could really be addressing, uh, and, and and that would make a real difference in the in people's experience of playing golf. Now, it's it's great to talk about the ten clubs, or um, it, but that should be handled. You know, that could be handled at a local level. I'd like to see golf clubs, individual clubs, say, you know. Tuesdays are, are 
Seven Club, Club Day. Day. Yeah, lovely. You don't have to. No. But just, just promote something. Promote something different. Say, we're moving all of our tees up to the 4,000-yard markers today. You know, it's Wednesday. That's what we do every Wednesday. You know, there, there are other ways that we can sort of break the the traditional mindset but you, but at the same with at the same time not telling anybody or not sending the message that the way you play golf now is is, is wrong is not right no. so yeah. I, I just think there are there are other ways to, to talk about this um and address golf's real problems which are how do you experience golf in the environment when you're on the golf course and, and not about you know the ball going too far or the clubs yeah, well, well, the ball going to those, it really is just an elite golf issue. That's the truth of that. And if we mm. want professional and elite golf to be a part of the golf landscape, and I think there are very good reasons why we should, that's an issue that's going to need to be dealt with. It's certainly not, we all know it's not an issue for the most part at the level we play at. Although we all know golfers who play off 25 and hit the ball monstrous distances, including monstrous distances offline. Yep. Um, that is a reality. You can't pretend that Our not. Our friend uh, Matthew Mollica is has a started a thread on golf club atlas about you know how many courses can we name that have erected basically safety fences and yeah. safety nettings mm-hmm. next to holes and I'll, I'll, it'll be very interesting to see how many courses show up on that list is it <laughs> is it going to get into the hundreds or is it is it going to tap out at 50 or so you know uh, and that i think that'll that's, that's some interesting feedback and we'll be able to glean a little bit more information about the the waywardness of the golf ball based on some of the feedback on that thread. If you added in courses that had shifted tees to the left or right to point yeah. away from a boundary that was formerly a lateral boundary, so now you're hitting away from it because of that very reason, mm-hmm. it gets into some murky areas where you can't. But I don't think it... Well, Ian Andrews says it, and has, he said it on your podcast, Derek, and he's said it plenty of times since, that an awful lot of the work he does at regular suburban golf courses is because of safety issues very much caused by the modern equipment. For the that's recreational true. player, that's true, and 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 Ian's a, Ian's a friend, and he's great. But that's his that's his experience, and mm-hmm. I find it really interesting that there are so few architects that will go on the record advocating anything be done to to clubs or balls. And I've talked to many architects off the record, and and none of them believe it's a it's a significant problem. At least not enough wow. to There's your justify podcast off the record. I want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Feed the ball, and then off the record for those who pay. Yeah. I mean, I think there are reasons why why they don't want to make a, a lot of sound and uh, you know, a, a, you know, have their opinion out there floated around. But um, if if architects thought it was a problem, they would be more vocal about it. Well, I don't think they they see it getting to that level yet. There's two furrowed brows down here in yeah. Sydney. Adrian's got his his well and truly crinkled, looking at me, saying, <laughs> "What is Derek talking about?" I'm certainly with. I think I'm with you, Adrian. I reckon architects have been very vocal. That's my experience. Maybe I just talked to the wrong architects. What do you reckon, Adrian? Does well, it, it, the, the 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 line is: is it a serious enough serious enough problem to advocate an equipment rollback across the board? That's a very specific question, isn't it? I suppose you might get a different yeah. range of answers yeah. to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think they, most of them agree. Yeah, I mean the ball is going pretty far, but does it rise to a level of crisis? And and there's no consensus on that. Can in have, fact, can you have crisis in a recreational Ian, pursuit? Not really. Crisis is well, a strong word. On if, you know, <clears throat> it could if you're erecting fences and well, you're there's a lot of money involved in property ones. damage and safety mm-hmm. issues. It it could, but it doesn't. And, and as far as I can tell, in, in my conversations, yeah. it, it doesn't rise to that level. I'm yet. not disagreeing with you. I just find mm-hmm. it really interesting. It's not my experience, but I don't talk to anywhere near as many mm-hmm. architects as mm-hmm. you. And of course, most of the architects that we hear from are the high-profile architects, and you're aware of what their stances are. Doke's always been vocal about the ball. 
Um, although I think he's probably he might actually be in your camp. I think Derek. Until they start messing with the old course, he's kind of like, well, it's professional golf. Let them do what they want. Yeah, but we don't yeah. we don't have any involvement with them. It's a whole separate business which we're not interested in. So yeah, there is this conspiracy theory as well that, and I, I don't know which side of the argument you use this theory on, but that architects want to go for this work that. Uh, they benefit, don't they? They, they benefit from having to redesign, move bunkers, and mm. and move and create new tees and that sort of thing. So there's, uh, I guess it's the anti rollback crowd that use that as a conspiracy theory. That architect, I don't. It's very confusing. Very cynical view. It, it's incredibly narrow, confusing view to take. But yeah, that does that is out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it, it, to me, it's just hard to look at the big picture and say what we really should do is keep going down the path we've been going down. At every measurable instance, it's proved not to have been particularly effective, except for a very small group of people, predominantly being those who make and sell golf equipment, particularly balls and clubs, obviously, and top players. There's never been a better time to be a professional golfer, to be really good at it. I mean, we've got one now that's a billionaire. It's an unthinkable scenario 40 years ago. Yep. Mm-hmm. So you can see yep. where the, the forces have lined up and where the, re- the resources are on the other side of the argument to the one we're on. But the broader base, I think, I don't know, I haven't given up hope that people can see some sense. Because, of course, most people just never give it a thought, Derek. As you say, most golfers have no interest in golf mm. at all. It's just something they do. Um, and I've polled players at my own club. Why do you play? No, oh, it gets me out of the house. Mm-hmm. Why do you play twice a week at the same golf course? Yeah, it gets me out of the house. I like to come and see my mates. Bit of exercise. Ever yeah. watched a golf tournament? No. Ever read a golf book? Oh, yeah, my wife bought me a Greg Norman book back in the 90s. It helped <laughs> a bit with my putting. And that's kind of the extent of it. Nobody's Again, ever said They're not enjoying it in the wrong way. No, 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 no. no. That's not <laughs> like, but, but they've got no interest in the game, which, which doesn't mean that their opinions aren't worth anything. But what it means is those who do have an interest in the game have earned more of a not a right, more of a place at a table where you're going to discuss how the game should progress. But then I think they do have an interest in the game. It, it's If you start asking deeper questions, like you often ask the question, so what's your favourite hole? And they've often got a favourite hole. And it's like, well, there well, you go. You've got some interest. Well, that, yeah, that's, <laughs> always in a, that's always in a confrontation. I've got yeah. no interest in golf course architecture. Have you got a favourite hole? Yes. Yeah. Well, then you've got an interest in golf course architecture. Yeah. That's not so much, which is probably my fault for being confrontational about that. But... I don't know. That's interesting. and I, I don't know whether that's a good or a bad thing. An apathetic golf public, mm-hmm. generally speaking. Because, of course, the I'm other sure thing, most people only think the about their own game. It was. Yeah, that's right. Most people only ever think about their own game. Yep. They don't care if you take away the hybrid if they don't use them. But if you suggest removing the 60-degree wedge from the game and that's their favourite golf club, oh, you will pay hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they will raise holy hell about it, which is understandable again. But there's a bigger picture. People, if you listen to this podcast, there's a chance that you're aware there's a bigger picture. Whether or not you agree with it, is a different matter. What else have we got on the list here? Um, this kind of plays into this. I posted the link to this, which we touched on it last week. Adrian, mm-hmm. this is right up your alley. I found this story in Golfing Gol- oh, Golf, Golf Inc. Inc. magazine mm. uh, about, well, tell the people what it's about and what it says and why I put it in the Google Doc. I, th- this is an article which would appeal to a very large proportion of the golfing public. It, it it speaks to exactly what a lot it's of people want. It's the first clue there's something wrong with Out it. of golf. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the first clue. Exactly. And I, I, so it's titled, uh, Presentation Matters. Pay attention to these five areas. So we're going to make some 
sweeping statements. Fantastic. Uh, cover, cover your ears. Grounds, groundskeeper Willie. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it, it it gets into like, okay, you're you're a golf club. You're looking to attract people to the club. What are you going to do to do that? Here's five suggestions, I think they are. It, it, this is an article which I, I felt anger, <laughs> anger rising. A, a physiological I, I, response. I, you know, I'm sort of in this business a little bit and I was looking at this thinking, oh, okay, what have they got to say here? It's, it's some interesting stuff. And then the first point comes along, great presentation begins with people. So it's talking about the team is dressed well with good grooming, shoes shined and clothing, um, name badges, everything about them needs to be sort of spotless. So all of your staff, and, and right at the moment I'm going, hmm, okay, well, that one, I'm, yeah. I'm just, you know, that that's only a very... There might be something Australian about that too. In Australia, that sort of thing is far less revered, I think, than possibly in America where service is a yeah. really big deal. It's less so here. Yeah, there's like maybe less than 1% of golf clubs in Australia that would care deeply about that one. Yeah. Um, and I've never been to any of them. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that one I was thinking, um, okay, all right, that... That situates us, situates us in this sort of yeah. big country That's club. hospitality industry speak. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Day one. Exactly. Um, and then it goes on to start at the beginning, making certain your parking lot parking lot is safe and open with proper signage, um, having somebody there to greet people as they come in through the parking lot and uh, and talk to them by name. Um you know, We've got a homeless like a mangrove that does that. You get out of the car and he, he emerges from the bush and talks to you. So I suppose we're ticking one of the boxes. <laughs> That's it, it, not true, by the way. As we get into it, I'm not going to list all of the points, but it, it's all stuff that's not about the golf actual golf experience. It's all pouring money. It, all, it ends up being very exp- – if you did everything in this article, it would mm-hmm. be very, very expensive to implement at any golf club. And – very little of it actually adds to the golf experience out on the golf course. It's all a bunch of um, uh, wankery. Uh, yes, thank you. <laughs> that that sort of adds to the overall experience of uh, the you know member for a day type of thing that is is important to a lot of people. So here here's the question though, and again, uh, wrong is the wrong word, but is there any reason why well, you and I had a response? sort of a physiological response to that. I was the same. I sort of felt anger welling up when I was reading it. None of this has got anything to do with golf, but golf as a business, Derek, needs to have a product to sell. And if that's a product that sells, then surely if you're in the business of golf, you make that product, whether you like it or not personally. The thing that struck me about this is it seems so much common sense. And I wonder if maybe some uh, person who's running a, a golf club is reading this and, and thinks, wow, that's a great idea. I hadn't considered, you know, adjusting my font size on my menus for senior citizens. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, which is pretty simple. That's so one of the points. Know, maybe, one of the points is ha- put a lot has- of signs all out in the golf course, which I'm not keen on. But. Y- yes, and there was one, one – um, point that talked about you know are the hazards hazards um, designated so the golf has proper warning of how to play the hole and <laughs> does the does the layout make sense well those are pretty pretty big issues that are kind of that, that are really hard to to make adjustments I mean, to you, and, and really you need to do that if help, you're hosting a professional the, event of course because they don't know the rules or how to get yeah. the golf course but not for right. the everyday golfer who's got some common sense i mean this the, the sentiment of this story is in the right place i i think that golf has customer service issues uh it's not everywhere but i think you know we keep we've been talking today about 
the uh, the entry level experience of golf and what it takes to to crack into golf and there there are some some barriers and and some obstacles that that make it difficult to get into golf and one of them is is the uh, the, the clubhouse ex- uh, and pro shop experience and and sometimes for a beginner it's it's very intimidating to go into a, a pro shop and everybody's dressed the same and they have their their golf paraphernalia. And you're, mm-hmm. if you're not used to that, and they can tell right away, the, the staff can often tell right away if you're a committed golfer or not. So, so, so reminding your staff that that there there are people that you know don't know golf as well as you do, or or just a, anything that helps them, you know, kind of melt that ice and be a little bit more kind and 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 non-judgmental. I, it's it's a good message. Uh, I do because th- I do think that golf struggles sometimes with with uh, customer service. I wonder how much of this might be cultural too, because I read all of that that's being suggested in this, and I cringe. If I went to a place that did all of those things, I would never go back. It'd be, it's, it's like those fancy hotels where people come and grab your bags. It's like it's okay, mate. I can carry my bag. I don't yeah, need... it's definitely geared, geared toward a certain, like like Adrian said, that country club for a for a day experience. Yeah, but I wonder how much it has of a this... certain type of golf club in mind. Mm-hmm. Probably, I don't know. Do we? I, we certainly for the beginner. And I think particularly probably in pro shops, and I think this is true of golf retail shops as well, not uncommon to come across somebody with an horrific attitude, which is, I'm good at golf and you're not. Mm-hmm. And that's, no, that's a golf specific, that's an attitude problem that people who perhaps shouldn't be in retail. But generally speaking, do you reckon golf clubs, you know, they are intimidating places, aren't they? even here in Australia, I suppose. But I wonder. Yeah, they're very intimidating. But also, I've I've golfers experienced this somewhat at a couple of places where I went to play in Florida, where they're sort of like, you know, we've got we've got the bag drop and uh, really big fancy pro shop, and they give you a little bag of goodies when you pay your ridiculously overpriced green fee. But they're free, and then they've got a <laughs> free stuff. They've got a starter, and at every point. In that experience, it it did have this sense of condescension because all of those staff are trained to deal with the people f- for whom this is their first ever golf experience. So, for for anybody with a tiny bit of experience, it's it, you just want to smash the people in the, in the face. Like, <laughs> so, where's the team? The, the, I'll be right. The starter was like lecturing me on, um, you know, their their cart etiquette and things like that. <laughs> could, he, and, could he have picked a worst? And you know about pace of play and thing, and and the way they um, look down on you if you don't actually want to take a cart because they they fear that the pace of play is going to be disrupted for the entire golf course because you're you're insisting on walking. Um, but the, this one particular place, you just weren't allowed to walk. You had even you just had to have a cart. But the bloke I was with didn't mind driving the cart, and I sort of walked around with a few clubs and stuff. So that was that worked out okay. But the condescension of mm-hmm. how they're treated. I was thinking to myself, yeah, what, if I am a beginning golfer. That, that guy was incredibly condescending. And in fact, all of them were pretty condescending all, all along the way um, because they're just assuming you're a complete idiot. That's their baseline. You, you do have that look about you. Like, I, mean, I don't mean that in a nasty way, just in a malicious and cruel way, but not nasty in any way. Oh, anyway, um, all way too, way too negative. Here's something, and I've just come up with this, and ideas that are formed on the run are often the best, as you know. So I think each episode we have to we have to close with a new segment called High Note. Mm-hmm. Something great about the game that you've fallen in love with or rediscovered this particular week 
that's made you think, God, I love this game more than I ever did before because we get far too much into this stuff. You've obviously got something in mind. Well, funnily <laughs> enough, I actually don't because I haven't played golf for about two and a half months nearly, I think. Well, the last time I played with you, at, when was that? Five weeks? Four weeks? Uh, yeah. Long time. Like that. Now, that was the last time I played. And I didn't play for a long time before that either. So, and I'm not looking to If you call play. that golf. What well, that one of the reasons why I didn't play for a long time before I'm up and not playing for quite a while to come. But high note. So, Derek, have you got something in the chamber when I say high note? Something that's made you think the game is fantastic all over again? It's important that we have this positive stuff. Because people get the idea that we don't like the game, I think, ultimately. All we do is bitch and moan about it. That's how that... <laughs> that's what that woke Kenzie's on about. For good entertainment. Um, Andy and I talked golf? about this at the end of our podcast. Is about uh, getting your kids into golf. And uh, even after that, we recorded that session, I took my... My uh, my son and daughter out to the golf course, and they're eight and ten, and they they played uh, again, and they were so focused on beating the beating each other, and they played match play. I explained to them what that was, oh, hey, and Derek. my what daughter closed my son out um, nine holes, closed him out at the fifth hole. Nice. And he was he was devastated, but then he they kept obviously kept playing, and he won the last four holes. So even though he so lost, lost the one match, down. <laughs> yeah, he only lost one was down, close. and he, he was on, on a hot streak. So, it, just to see the see how golf emotionally can can get can affect even kids, you know, who aren't very good at it, is is really special. And um, as we said in the podcast, just it's just getting somebody out to the golf course and then them swing swing the club, hit the ball in a live kind of situation on a real golf hole, and, and chances are they're going to love it in one way or another. They're going to find their own path to the game through that. Um, and I was seeing it in front of my own eyes. It was it was very nice. Fantastic. What what does a little junior Mackenzie Walker cost, and how many cut down <laughs> persimmons and blades did the little one? And, and alignment uh, sticks. And, yeah, alignment yeah. sticks are they, are they natural drawers <laughs> or faders of the ball? You know, does the daughter like to punch the low one in there? Is she big on the ground game? How's all that panned yeah, out? Yeah, she's got her own monogrammed head covers already. <laughs> that's fantastic. Is she really? That's fantastic if she does. No. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, wonderful stuff. That's lovely. So golf with your kids. I can't afford kids, so that's no good for me. Logue. Uh, I've got you a high got kids and you ruined the game for your daughter, didn't you? Didn't you destroy it for her in, what, one clinic? Yeah, oh, I took her to a few early morning clinics. In winter? This isn't going to be a high <laughs> <laughs> I took her to a few early morning clinics. It was bitterly cold every <laughs> single time. And, you know, she she didn't make friends with the, the other people there and it was just didn't work out. Even the Coke that they give you at the end didn't wasn't yeah. enough to sort of bribe her to come back again. She hated it. But and so now she just associates golf with bitter cold, and <laughs> and then they they shove a coke in front of you at the end of the game. Um, Great stuff. Well done. Well done, Logue. Um, my high note would be at the at the pinball pro am last week. I uh, happened to be on the spot and take a photo of a guy getting a hole in one. Oh wow! Yeah, so oh, playing with Claytools, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, a member at our club. He hadn't had a hole in one. A very good golfer. He plays off one or two. Uh, hadn't had a hole in one since about 1989. I think it was his second one. And uh, he said he'd been keeping statistics and it was over 4,000 par threes that he's played since 1989 uh, before he got this second hole in one. And I happened to be there. I was just actually playing with the settings on the camera, like testing it on him. So you could take a photo of the proper golfer. So I could take a photo of Clates. <laughs> I told him this afterwards. and uh, But I happened to get a photo of him and tidied it up a bit and was able to send that through to him. So it's very rare to be able to get a photo of your hole-in-one shot. Fantastic. Yeah. Did you see – have you seen the spreadsheet? Has he really kept it? <laughs> he does. He keeps stats Good of all that stuff. That, that, uh, I mean, over 4,000 par threes or something he played between hole-in-ones. So statistically probably yeah, normal. Probably ahead of, well, he's actually probably ahead of the curve. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, truth be told. There you go. Uh, high note for me, I've got to be honest, this is probably a little bit lazy, but it's actually true. This to me is the high note, talking about the game. Okay. So I really, really enjoy about the game. And talking about the game with intelligent people about stuff that's bigger than just did you have one shot or two or four on that hole. What a sad life you have. It is kind of. Well, look at who I'm choosing to do it with. I mean, at least if I was talking to interesting people, it would be different. You're a nasty man, deep down. Probably like a do-over, I'm sure. You've got got character. So so that, on the record, and listeners, feel free to join in on high note. uh, Because I find that those things come to you, almost a bit of a bolt of lightning, don't you think? You're doing something to do with the game, and you suddenly think, this is what's so fantastic about it. We spend so much time thinking about the problems of the game. You'll go, oh, wow, this this reminds me. Why it's so fantastic. Oh, here's a high note. I read OB, one bearded golfer wrote a fabulous mm-hmm. piece about... Uh, really good piece. What course was it? Um, the castle course? Yep. When he was in Scotland yep. and sort of yeah, understanding it looks like he had a great trip. Yeah, well, mm. can't wait. I've been helping him work out his sound. There, might, there may be a, an OBG podcast Ooh. in the future. He's okay. been mucking around with some stuff. So we look forward to that. That was, a, that was a highlight of the week too. Um, getting to read that. Uh, let's wrap it up. We haven't got through everything on the Google, 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 good, good, good doc, but we never will. So that's no, no are we going to? It's the nature of the doka. Yep. What Save it for next week. What are we okay. skipping? You teased it on the intro, so we'll just have to uh, term that as a, a cliffhanger. Then. What did I tell you? What about? the Boca Raton? Oh thing. God! Yeah, the goal. Actually, we, uh, let's quickly do it. So, okay. Derek, you're more across this. So, this turned up on Shackleford's site during the week, and this speaks to some of that stuff we were talking about with community links. This is probably an example of how not to go about embedding golf into communities and welcoming communities and just give us a thumbnail sketch of what happened at the Boca Raton development you're right, sure. right, yeah real real quick the Boca Raton we've been following this story for over a year now um, the, the city purchased a golf course they wanted to renovate it they put out an RFP request request for proposal uh, to and it was uh, I want to say I don't have that right in front of me but something like 12 different architectural firms responded the city picked uh, Tommy Fazio that's Tom Fazio's nephew and uh, working with Nick Price, he, they chose their proposal. And then when the numbers came in, uh, the total uh, cost for this project was uh, well north of $20 million, which is an extraordinary amount of money. Now, it does include some infrastructure work and a clubhouse and a maintenance facility. But the golf course itself was uh, going to be $15 million to construct. And it went back and forth to the city council, and some people just thought it was too much money. There's a, a golf organization driving this project that, that really wanted to do it for that cost. They thought it would be good for the city. And to make a long story short, the city finally just said, no, it's, just, it's too expensive. And, and this is an example of where golf you know, gets, gets in its own way and steps on its own feet is by sending out this message that we're going to allocate over $20 million for a, a public golf course. And it was going to have you know all these things that are probably – unnecessary and it's just a lot of money and, and that's that's not the image that that golf needs uh, to portray right now so the good news is they're going back to the drawing board reopening up the the search process again and 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 re uh they're going to rebid out the golf course and um try to hire somebody and it could be fazio price again but they're going to try to hire somebody to do it for a, a lot less than that and what i found I, I i do have the list of of the previous um proposals here and it's this was everybody in the business uh applied for this job, including Palmer, uh, Greg Norman, Reese Jones, Nicholas Company. Um, and also, since we're talking about it, Andy Staples uh, uh, put uh, a bid in. Uh, uh, Richard Mandel, who's on my podcast, uh, a great, he'd be perfect for it, uh, doing, uh, you know, com- public golf courses and doing a really smart. Um, Kyle Franz put a bid in. 
Uh, Matt Dusenberry put a bid in. So, so they, they, there's a lot of great options to go with if they decide to go a different direction. And I just found it interesting that this was a, an example, as you said, Rod, that uh, maybe some common sense prevailed. And I think they can get a, probably a pretty strong uh, product in that market for a lot less than, than $15 million, I would assume. The soils there, if they're like most places in Florida, uh, especially along the coast, uh, sandy soils, that, that should help. Um, uh, it's surrounded by, you know, they, they could do the Andy's Staples Community Links pro, uh, project, something like that, and, and it's surrounded, you know, it's, it's high density, so if they could do something interesting with the clubhouse, uh, draw people into the golf course in another way. Um, so there's lots of good options out there, and it'll be very interesting and uh, to see which way they go, and I, I think it's a good move. Oh. I couldn't, uh, to me, this is a real positive, uh, and partly because we've got an issue in the game, don't we, Adrian, with name architects getting all the work. And we know the, you know, in the 80s, 90s, Palmer, Nicholas, Norman were probably at the head of that list. And now it's Doak and Hands and Cor Crenshaw and David McClay Kidd who seem to get all of the work. There's a bunch of extraordinarily talented people that are prepared to work for a whole lot less. They all are worth the money that they ask, but that's not necessarily the answer for a, hmm. a city funded golf course is it winter park is a fantastic example of what a couple of blokes with talent and hunger mm-hmm. can do with not much with money. a couple of million bucks yeah yeah it, it's forever perplexes me why there's not more seminoles in florida um what it's just it's good land for the most part it gets a bit flat in places but that doesn't that's no barrier to creating great golf yeah, the site for Seminole, I mean, that that existed all up and down yeah. the Atlantic coast. It's but, right next I mean, to that's, a whole that's, bunch of terrible golf courses, Seminole. It's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, what I think it'd be, if Seminole were located a quarter mile inland, would it still be considered what it is? Oh, the New right South Wales question. Um, th- with that wind and, and its, its location <laughs> definitely helps. But, you know, that's, that's prime real estate. That yeah. Your answer is because it's, you know, you could make a lot more money uh, purchasing land and, and throwing up homes and, and hotels along the water yeah. versus golf courses. And well, the inland example is Streamsong. Why isn't there more of that in uh, in Florida? Instead, you've got the the Bears. Well, the club. same reason you haven't got it on the Gold Coast. Oh, but you've got better land in Florida. It's mostly sand based. I get that, but it's the same sort of reason. It's a certain well, it's a certain type of golf. Probably more so the Gold Coast of Florida, born of an era. I mean, the Gold Coast golf boom was the eighties and nineties. So the golf courses that you have on the Gold Coast are 80s and 90s golf courses, and they're not Streamsong no. or Band and Dunes. No, no, they're Burgle Dunes. If they were, what would you have up there? It's it's interesting how the predominance of those resort type of courses or real estate uh, developments seem to perpetuate even more of them. Even even now, when mm. you've got more interesting golf course architects bidding on these jobs. It seems to inevitably go to the same. There's there's a lot of you know, and nothing against um, like Fazio or or Reese Jones. They they produce some stuff which I find pretty interesting, but every single development down there seems to go to them. I think it's they just know how to do real estate developments and work through the. Yeah, they must have a business advantage. The of all that sort of stuff. Marketing is so is so is so important. I mean, yeah. it's it's just it it, it has an un. An unbalanced effect on I think who gets jobs and I think it's hard if if you're on a city council or you're, you're on a committee that's choosing an architect it's it's pretty easy to get starstruck by mm. the, the big names that come in and especially when you're in, in a golf rich environment and all the courses that are your competition and all the private clubs around are already designed by you know A list architects yeah. 
it makes it a lot harder to to go pick Kyle Franz, even though he's he a would genius. field you a, a, a mm. top ten golf course in Florida, probably. Well, he might not make something that's as visually stunning as what a what Tom Fazio would do or the Nicholas Company. Uh, it would be in a different way. It would be. Yeah, but yeah, but not so. everybody is is on board with that. Yeah, with maybe that that sandy, scrubby style that, yeah. that would probably work best on that site. Is the ongoing maintenance of that cheaper? The, I mean, the, the the big downside of all of the resort and real estate driven golf developments here in Australia is that the cost of maintenance is so prohibitive that once the houses are sold and the developer buggers off, the things just fall into disrepair because you can't afford to keep pouring the money in. Yeah, that's right. There's a lot. They often leave you with a lot of turf to maintain. Is, is Barnburgle Dunes cheaper to maintain? Is Bandon Dunes cheaper to maintain? I don't know. Maybe maybe we should ask groundskeeper Willie. I mean, just because it looks like it's less work doesn't mean it necessarily is. A lot of work goes into that ragged look, doesn't it, Derek? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a, it, don't fall for the notion this is all just natural and simple necessarily. I mean, all that stuff needs maintenance and care and to be looked after and maybe more. I know the bunker next to the seventh at Barnboogle Dunes is problematic on yep. the left side there. Yep. Because it's so exposed and it's so deep, and and you can see pe- photos that people have taken Absolutely. as a seventh over time. It's changed yeah. dramatically, mm. and it, it, like every other course, Which the bunkers become do, yeah. a little bit smoothed out, a little bit rounder yeah, each right. year, <laughs> a little yeah. bit less less interesting. All of that micro detail just gets sort mm. of eroded away. Yeah, there you go. We were going so well with high note. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we just <laughs> just pulled the rug out from under ourselves. I blame you for that, Derek. The listeners had forgotten about bringing up the Boca Raton. It's a, it's a high note. It this kind is, of a, good, is a good thing. Drop the price by about $10 million. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly. right. Build a better golf well, course. Well, I mean, this could potentially be uh, an example of, of a municipality doing a really smart job and getting it right for a, a low cost, and, uh, it, mm. and it works out for everybody. And the golf is outstanding on top of that. Because there's a few, there's isn't a, there? I mean, we always talk about Winter Park, but there's a couple of other examples too. I know Andy did one. I can't remember where it was, where he had the zip lines. He put zip lines <laughs> in as well as part yeah. of that community, which has been really successful. Was it in New Mexico? Common, common ground in, Colorado, in Denver, Colorado is, exactly, is a perfect so. example. We need an example of it here Goat, in Australia. Goat Hill Derek. Park. And yeah, but we, we need one here, don't we? We need a council that's got the courage to do a Winter Park here in Australia and show all the other councils how it can and should be done. Because once you get one, particularly in Australia, I think probably more because we're a smaller sort of a place, mm. that I think you'd get a knock-on effect where people go, oh, right, okay, that's been good. We should do that too. Mm. Um, yeah, it needs to be led by golf as well. Because, it does. Because I, I, I tend to say, well, Wallara is a great example. It's a fantastic example. But it's not golf forward, if you know what I mean. It's The, the golf is tolerated and maintained to a high level, but it's not driven by the golf. It's not initiated by the people who love golf at Wallara sort of dragging along all the other sports with them and saying, and, and the little community garden that's there and um, the farmer's market and the shops around the area and all that sort of thing, bringing everybody along for the ride with golf taking the lead. I think that's that's the difference with a winter park or common ground or, or Goat Hill mm. Park or somewhere like that, where it's it's the golf people that have taken the initiative to bring the community in. Bring, which is yeah. what's got to happen because at the moment the community is essentially locked out of most yeah. golf. Uh, yep. in that sense so yeah that's where the change has to come Derek thank you for joining us from over there so, Talking Golf Satellite Studio 2 I think I've finally settled on <laughs> there in Georgia but nice to have you company yes. mate thank you always a pleasure thank yeah, you always a pleasure and Adrian always good to have you right here in the uh, within arm's reach so I can punch within you within Studio 1 Studio 1 Talking Golf Central Studio 1 yep. there is no Studio 2 that's a little peek behind the curtain but who knows one day there might be if yep. we ever get to Studio 2 things will be going pretty well but thanks Indeed. for coming in today mate always enjoy them. thanks Rod and thanks Derek Epis- thank you
episode nine of the Good Good Golf podcast in the book. Don't forget to go and check out the Talking Golf Network and get in touch with us on Twitter with any complaints, brickbats, bouquets, um, whatever you've got to. And we'll see you next week for episode ten. <laughs>